Um, really excited this morning, third Sunday in Advent, three candles are lit, the, the flame is getting brighter, which means Christmas is closer, right? And uh, I don't know about you, but I, throughout the year, if you ask me how I felt about Christmas, I'd probably say I was, I like it, it somewhat, every time it starts getting close, I start to feel more and more like a kid. I actually really get excited uh, for this, and Advent really helps with that, and so I'm very thankful for the, for the gift of Advent uh, in this season to just help us get our hearts ready, to, prepared to think again in a fresh way about the incarnation of Christ. Um, we're going to look at first, our Second Corinthians, sorry, Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 today, so if you've got your Bibles, you can kind of turn and just have those open. We'll come, we'll come to them, those two chapters in bits and pieces throughout our time. Um, but the key verse that I'll kind of center us in on is 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, where in this Advent season, this is an interesting kind of passage of Scripture to consider, and this verse especially when we think about Advent and Jesus coming uh, to be with us. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer, would you come this morning and would you speak to us? Not only speak to us with words, not only speak to us at a level of, a, of mental ascent, but Father, would you come by your spirit and would you minister to the deeper parts of our heart? I actually pray that things would shift and move in us today as we hear your word and as we encounter you. In your name, amen. I was at a pastor's prayer lunch uh, on Wednesday, and one of my friends who's a pastor in town, and I'll just leave his name out of it, even though he probably wouldn't mind. He's telling, he was telling us this story. We bumped into the pastors from the Salvation Army downtown were there, and so he was telling them the story that he was at Walmart one day, you know, here in the middle of this Advent, craziness, and he had his headphones in with a podcast going, and his head down, and he was just, you know, get her done, right? Like he's in, the, and he came out of the doors and um, was just head down right past the Salvation Army kettle worker, you know, just right past him, didn't even whatever, when all of a sudden of his corner of his eye, he realizes it's Pastor Dave, and Pastor Dave knows him, and so he stops, and he thinks, oh, shoot, I think I better stop and put something in the kettle, you know? Like, it's kind of one of these weird moments. We were laughing our heads off. He's like, I realized I was caught. It was like this, you know? And, and so he stopped and, you know, and, and I don't know if you've, you've sort of been confronted by the kettles this year. Uh, they put them right outside of retail locations on purpose, the places where you have to go and you have to be. And as, as you come out, you're sort of confronted by this kettle. Now, in the past, it was a real confrontation because usually you had loose coin in your pockets, you know? Like to walk past that kettle and keep it in your pockets just felt like an Ebenezer Scrooge moment, you know. But now we've for the past couple of years we've been good to go because nobody's got cash, so you're just like perfect. And then the Salvation Army like got smart and they put the little QR codes now, so you just no problem. You got your phone, bleep, you know. And now it's not loose change. It's like you know, it's like five, fifteen, twenty. You can like hit the fifty if you're, you know. And so it's a little bit like the guy's watching, and you know, you got you, you got to everybody's watching. It's like. Uh. You know, of course, my pastor friend, especially when people, he starts to realize, oh, people see me, like, it can become this really weird thing where you're like, they're going to see how high my phone is when I put it by, like, you know. 
And so we were, we were, we were, we were kind of laughing about it. But honestly, I, I thought about that, and I thought, you know, this idea of being kind of like confronted by the kettle as we run through Advent is actually a bit of a gift. In fact, I kind of wish that there was enough volunteers to put one outside of every retail location. So that as we run through the insanity of Advent, we can find ourselves confronted by the reality of the world that's around us. The Salvation Army is not raising money so they can get fancier vans. I mean, if you have eyes to see and you live in this city, you know that there are many who are in desperate need of help. And those kettles stand in the midst of our consumerism. They stand and they confront our capitalist idea of life. Right? It forces us to think that just potentially my brother is my problem. And so the fact that it even kind of grabs us a little when, you know, when I'm making fun, right, of the, you know, I like that. I think that it at least stops us and causes one of hopefully many ways that the Lord would work in our lives to call us to attention as it relates to the much that we have in this Advent season. And we say and declare that we follow a Christ who emptied himself for us. We're in a season that's been spread out over some time, but a few, about a month ago, I did the first teach in a series on kingdom finances. And today I want to do another. And I would title this teach if I was to title it Gospel Generosity. I think it's, uh, at first I thought, well, maybe I'll skip, I'll do an Advent teach, and then we'll pick it up in the new year. And then I realized this is an Advent teach. This is a great Advent teach to think about our wealth, to think about our finances in this season is probably a very good idea. Um, I was going to find stats and I didn't have time. Somebody here might know some of them, but uh, what I do know is that the, that the amount of credit card debt that's occurred in this next couple of weeks would just blow your mind. Right? We, just, we just go crazy in this season, you know, it kind of props our economy up. That's how much money is spent between Black Friday and New Year's Day. It's just crazy. I want to read you. I read a sermon as I was preparing by Pope Francis, uh, the Roman Catholic Pope presently. He gave this sermon on an Advent Sunday in 2019 in Africa, which I thought was interesting. I'm going to read you three quotes throughout our time together, and this is the first one. Consumerism is a virus that tarnishes faith at its root. Because it makes you believe that life depends solely on what you have. And so you forget God who approaches you and who is beside you. The Lord comes, but you prefer to follow the longing you feel. Your brother knocks at the door, but he's a nuisance to you because he upsets your plans. And this is the attitude of consumerism. In the gospel, when Jesus points out the dangers of faith, he's not thinking of powerful enemies, hostility, and persecution. All these things have been and will be, but they do not weaken faith. The true danger instead is what anathematizes the heart. It's a dependence on consumption. It is letting things burden and dissipate the heart. You remember that uh, a little over a month ago in that first teach, 
I, I, I called us to think about when we say yes to following Jesus, whether or not that has implications for our finances. And the conclusion was absolutely. That when we come to follow Jesus, it has significant consequences or implications, maybe I should say, for our finances. Because consequences would allude to the fact that it's negative, and I actually think it's an incredible gift. Because those who say yes to Jesus and bring their finances into that yes experience what I would say is true financial freedom. They get to walk then in a place where God takes care of them and their finances. So we bring that into this season of Advent. We bring that into this consumerism that touches our lives so much. You know, we are not free from that. Pope Francis understands it so well because he sees it every day. I mean, this is very real, and we as Christians, unfortunately, need to think about it and potentially even be brought in this Advent season to a bit of a repentance around it. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, Paul uses this part of his letter to encourage and to talk to the church in Corinth about a commitment that they made to give generously towards the true church in Jerusalem. So a big part of Paul's ministry as he shared the gospel when he went had this practical piece to it where he was raising money in all these Gentile churches to send back to the Jerusalem church, which was, what a beautiful picture of unity. Because if you know the early church at all, they're, you know, in human ways, they should have just ended up two churches, and they don't, which is so cool. And some of the reason is these moments where they said, no, maybe my brother is my, brother is my problem. If they're, if they're, for following Jesus, they are dying and being persecuted, they can't get work, they can't, like they were in a dire strait, Paul made it a commitment as he went to encourage the churches to give generously towards this project. And if you're taking notes and you want to look a little closer at it later, Romans chapter 15, verses 25 to 32, but also his first letter to the Corinthians, in, in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 4, you get some better context for this collection, for this work that that Paul's doing. It's a major project on Paul's part and probably very likely the outworking of something that was encouraged in him when the Jerusalem church blessed and sent him. Do you remember he comes back and he's with James and John and all these people and they, they give him the right hand of fellowship? They say, this is right. You need to take this gospel to the Gentiles. Go and do it. But they asked me not to forget the poor. This is probably a big part of what they're talking about. And so Paul is being faithful to his commitment to be one body and to walk together for the good of all. And Paul here in Corinthians is admonishing the church to give generously. The generosity that we see and that Paul is calling for is actually interesting to me, just very interesting to me. Often, the direct and natural organic outflow of the life of a person or a community who has encountered Jesus. We talked when we went to Kingdom Finance last time of Father Antony. Remember, and he, God, God just grabs his heart and he ends up giving away all his wealth and following Jesus. And it's just an incredible picture. But I reminded you that that, that kind of reminded me of a biblical story of Zacchaeus, right, who encounters Jesus and immediately begins to just pay back all his debts with extra. He just starts to go, I don't need this stuff. A man who was, before that, driven by it. Totally consumed by it. But in the book of Acts, in the early church, too, we see an incredible thing happen. In Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, we're told this. I'll read it. The passage from Acts chapter 2 tells us that all who believe, so those who had believed in Jesus, who had encountered Jesus, who had been touched by this gospel, all who believe were together and had all things in common, 
And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's crazy. Like, it's a really familiar passage. I think we have to stop for a moment and think about this. This is, wow, what is happening? What is going on here? What is the connection? How is it that having this encounter with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and brought into a living, transforming relationship with Jesus, what is the connection? Let's not just kind of ignore what happens in between that and the actions of generosity that we see, because I think it's significant. What is going on here? I would sum it up, and I'll try and make my case here. In this, that what we're seeing in all of these places is a generosity that flows from the gospel. It's what I could actually call a gospel generosity. It's not just a human generosity. It actually isn't just social gospel. It actually isn't just human care for the poor. There's a supernatural thing happening. There's a, there's a direct connection between the good news of Jesus and how it's touched these lives and the way they're now living, and it's touching their finances. Their yes meant something for their finances. A gospel generosity, let's unpack it a little bit. Let's look at this from this letter that Paul uh, writes, and I'll read for you from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll read verses 8 to 15, which will be kind of our main text today. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. You catch the distinction he's making? This is very important to Paul's point around this. You committed to do this, but remember, you actually desired to do this. Something in your heart moved you to this. So now, finish doing it well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased as you're burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. The word of the Lord. couple things to note. First of all, a gospel generosity, what it is that I want to encourage you in, and my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would move you towards today, is a gospel generosity that is shaped by Christ's example. It's not coerced by the embarrassment of the kettle situation. But it's compelled by Christ's example. And that example of Christ played out in your life. So I'll read again our key text, which is 8 verse 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
yet for your sake became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Gospel generosity is is exemplified by Christ in a few specific ways especially. First of all, it's a self-giving. It's a generosity that is about giving of yourself. It's not just about cutting uh, checks that don't somehow connect to the core of your being. It's not about just tapping the kettle and not thinking about who needs help. It's a self-giving love. It's a love that costs. In Philippians chapter 2, this beautiful hymn of the church, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 says, Of Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. When Jesus came, he became poor. When he gave he became poor, to use Philippians' language. He emptied himself. He took the realities of who he was, which were great, and laid them down for your sake. So, to follow Jesus, to say yes to that invitation, a person must quote Jesus, deny himself and take up his cross. You can't follow Jesus if you won't empty yourself. If we had our kids here, we could talk about follow the leader, right? Well, to follow the leader, you have to do what the leader is doing and go where the leader is going. You can't say, I'm following the leader and go over there. You just abandon the game. To follow Jesus, you need to do what Jesus did And go in the way that Jesus went, which was to lay his life down, to empty himself, to give generously. And that generosity was about himself, giving himself. It cost him. A gospel generosity in in, in line with Christ's example is self-giving, but it's also a self-giving for the sake of others. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has always been somebody that challenges me deeply on these points because I think if you just started with self-giving, right, I can be self-giving for selfish motivations, right? Jesus was self-giving for your sake. When Jesus moves to empty himself on the part of people to cost, to pay a cost, he does it not for himself, There's an emptying, literally. When Jesus goes to the cross, it's not so that people would think, what a great guy. Let me tell you, Jesus didn't have to do anything to deserve that accolade. Who was by the very nature God. The creator of the universe deserved it before he did that. He gives of himself, not for his sake, but for the sake of the world. And a gospel generosity. And I don't want to, I want to bring it to our finances today. It's bigger than that. But certainly even with our finances, to give generously in a self-giving way for the sake of others. And finally, this example of Jesus, I see in him a man who gives generously and that giving, that generosity is done willingly and with joy. 
Hebrews chapter 12, 2 tells us that we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, which is what we're doing right now. We're looking to Christ's example. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That is a radical realization. What was the joy set before him? Friends, it was you. It was, it was the possibility and the opportunity for life and relationship with you and with a broken and fallen world. Despising shame, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and is now seated at the right hand of God. Corinthians, coming back to our text today, if you look at chapter 9, verse 7, it says that each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He's calling us to be generous in the way of Jesus, which is not in the way of compulsion, but in the way of willing obedience. To give of ourselves for the sake of others, willingly, and I love this, a cheerful giver with joy. Have fun. Enjoy it. To call you to gener gospel generosity today is a gift. I don't make any apologies for it. To come and to enter into this way of Jesus. But if we're going to come and to walk in Christ's example, a gospel generosity, as much as it is exemplified by Christ, needs to, for us, be also grounded in, the king, in a kingdom perspective. And so a gospel generosity is shaped by Christ's example and secondly, grounded in a kingdom perspective. Gospel generosity actually flows out of this kingdom perspective. And if you go back and listen to the teach from a number of weeks ago, I think we touched that perspective quite well. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 14 to 15, this is how Paul casts a vision for gospel generosity by, by giving kingdom perspective into this act of collecting money and giving to the poor and caring. He says, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Paul here is casting a vision for gospel generosity. And it has at its heart the heart of God for, twice he uses this word, fairness. We were in pre-service prayer today, and without them knowing what we were teaching on today, this whole thing came up. I think I was making a joke that led to it, but still. And we talked about how much we wrestle with this idea of fairness, because so much of life doesn't seem fair. This word fairness is the Greek word um, aitos, I-S-T-O-E-S. Um, it can be translated as fairness, as it is here in the ESV, Great translation, but could also be translated like equal or equality. Gospel generosity has as sort of its goal or its intention a fairness, an equality, that I would supply for your need out of my abundance and you would do the same, and the picture becomes that we all end up with what we need, that we all end up with the provision that we need. 
to kind of make his point and to try and help the church catch this gospel picture of this, because I think in our minds, our idea of fairness is often very different than the kingdom idea. That's why we wrestle with the idea. So Paul says, let me try and help you understand this, and he takes them back to Exodus chapter 16. So I've read it a few times now, and you might have, your ears might have tweaked, you might have thought, what is that last verse of this passage we read about? Paul's taking us back to Exodus 16, where God fed the people of Israel in the wilderness daily bread in manna. And particularly, he points to this reality that when that would happen, those who would go out in the morning and gather much, and those who would gather less, all had what they needed. You could gather to your heart's content, and you would end up with what you needed. You could gather not so much, maybe because you were tired or it was harder for you, or I wonder if even maybe because you were a bit lazy. I don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't tell us. It seems to make no distinction that regardless, it was about what God was doing, and he was providing for people all that they needed in a season, in a moment where only God knows the heart, and out of his generosity, he was providing for his kids. Paul says, I'm going to bring that story forward to help you understand this gospel generosity. Really what we're talking about here, guys, is this concept that gets captured beautifully in this daily bread idea. And there's some great parallels for us today in Advent as we think about our finances and about being generous with, with what God has given to us. First of all, we, like the people of Israel, have a God who still to this day loves to care for his people with daily bread. Now, this is an incredibly frustrating reality for those who don't feel comfortable with the concept. Like daily bread. Every morning those people had to wake up and trust there'd be manna again. It even said if they tried to keep it, it went bad. And God, that it speaks to a bit of his character. He loves to care for us daily. Daily bread is about provision. And those who gathered much had the same experience as those who gathered little. All were provided for. Now, outside of a kingdom perspective, this is offensive. We would say, well, how does that make sense, Chad? I work my butt off for what I have. And that guy over there is lazy as all get out, won't go get a job. This doesn't make sense. Why should, you know? God says, hey, listen. Brothers and sisters, you come into a relationship with me. You let me deal with that. I don't think God's just okay with laziness. I, don't, I think he wants to bring us in healthy places. What I will say is, you very likely don't actually know much, if, if at all, what's going on for that individual who so quickly you write off. You don't know their story. You don't know why they're struggling. You don't know why, you know? No one wakes up in the morning and says, I choose to be lazy for the rest of my life. Never. This, this is just not the way it works. God does. He knows the heart, and he cares for his kids. And he does it in a way that has an equality to it, an equality in this, that you are no better than the person beside you. In the eyes of God, he cares equally for them. His heart for them, he went to the cross for them. That, that for the sake of others where he became poor, that they might become rich, he meant them. 
And so in our finances, when we begin to see gospel generosity that way, it brings us into not only a better relationship with our money, but a better relationship with the gospel. This is a tangible way we can do it. And so we begin to share with the poor. And this daily bread that the Israelites, Paul says, that's what we're talking about. Everyone provided for as they have need. Paul's inviting the church in Corinth to participate in this kingdom vision of generosity. Like manna in Exodus, all that we have is a gift of grace. He says, listen, however much you have or how little, it's all grace. Everything you have is a gift from God. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, only chapters before, he says to the church, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? Ooh. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Here in our passage today, chapter 9, verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Catch it. The one who supplies seed, who, who supplies bread, the one, everything you have, when you go to give generously, you are only giving away what he's given to you. We have this mentality that no, no, I earned that. And we become possessive of the things in our life. And God says, I want to call you to a different vision that will set you free. What if instead you realize that everything you have is a gift from God? And if I gave it to you and you give it away, I can give it to you again. I'll keep putting seed if you'll keep putting it in the ground. It's, incredible. it's a very different vision than the one that we live with often. And it echoes of Jesus' words in John 15 where he says in his analogy of the vine and the branches that apart from me, you can do nothing. I often hear Jesus say things like that and I think, oh, he's just exaggerating to make a point. I don't know. He means it. That all that you have is a gift of grace. What perspective are you living with today in relationship to your finances? As we go through this Advent season and we think about gift buying and we walk and we, you know, we touch all these places where consumerism is screaming in our faces, what perspective are you living with? How do you assess your position in this life? Especially financially. What are the measures? Let me read you a second quote from Pope Francis. I don't want you to put that up. When we live for things... Things are never enough. Greed increases and others get in the way and people end up feeling threatened and as they are ever dissatisfied and angry, the level of hatred rises. I want more. I want more. I want more. We see this today wherever consumerism holds sway. How much violence there is, even if it's only verbal. What anger what a desire to seek an enemy at all costs. Do you measure your position financially, your ability to give, the place from which you're living, 
through the lens of daily bread, a son, a daughter of Christ who is provided for, and who can count on God to meet your every need? Or do you measure the situation and your ability to give and your relationship with your finances through measures like security? Or status? Or personal comfort? Or maybe more powerfully, the comfort of your children? Or out of the incredibly powerful tool of comparison? I would say that's been my greatest struggle. As I've said yes to Jesus over and over, I've watched my my peers say yes to Jesus, but their yes meant a very different life. And I would pull up beside them in my pull up beside their BMW in my rust bucket and just think, this isn't fair. And God would come in and he would say, Chad, have you ever not had a way to get where you were getting? No? Then what's the problem? How are you assessing the position of your life, especially today in this Advent season as it relates to your finances, to your stuff, to your financial future? The reason why I'm making such a point of this is because when I read Paul here, I think what he's inviting us to is a way of freedom and life in an area that often is the opposite of that. Finances often is a real crusher. Right? We can't sleep at night and we're fighting in our marriages. And like, it, finances are tough to deal with. And I think he's inviting us to some freedom in this area, but I actually think he's inviting us in this area to that freedom because he knows that what he's really inviting us to is a, a way bigger freedom, which is a way that we would live out this gospel generosity in every part of our lives. He says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 13, By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. The key phrase that I want to focus on for a moment is looking as we're coming to a close at gospel generosity and how gospel generosity actually becomes a declaration of the gospel. The good news of Jesus begins to be declared where the people of God walk in gospel generosity. And so he says of them, as you do this, catch this, your submission, your gift, your your, your sacrifice for the sake of the Jerusalem church is flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. There it is. He connects the two things. You've encountered the good news of Jesus, and this generosity is flowing from that encounter. When God's people, having received the generosity of God in Christ Jesus, and if you said yes to follow Jesus today, then that's who you are that you have received the generosity of God for you. When those people give of themselves generously, the gospel of Christ is embodied. The good news of Jesus takes on flesh. 
now think about putting money in a kettle. That's that's it. Christ was just present. When we give generously out of this flowing from the gospel, Christ is embodied. And so it is witnessed. Christ is seen. And experienced, Christ is encountered in the place of human poverty. Imagine a life where your finances actually become a place of kingdom participation. I hope, it, I hope it casts a different vision for you today around your finances. Let me read for you a, a quote from Daryl Johnson in an Advent reader that he put together a few years back. Anya, can you see that one from Daryl Johnson? Put that up. Salvation, the kind wrought in Mary's son, the son of God, impacts economy, finances, bank accounts, and visa cards. Jesus Christ, being formed within us, changes our relationship to the good things in our hands. We realize that we really do not own these things and never really have. They are all His. Indeed, all things are His. We are stewards of His things. And we realize the one thing required of stewards is that they be faithful to the master's desires. This will manifest itself in a growing desire to simplify our lives. To be unencumbered by the demands that all those good things place on us. He comes to set the captive free. It will manifest itself in dreaming of creative ways to put our possessions and wealth to use for the kingdom of God. Finally, as we begin to uh, close and turn our hearts towards the Lord's table, I'll read you the third quote from Pope Francis. Friends, the meaning of life is not to accumulate. I'm going to stop there for a minute. Would you open your heart and just hear that today? Because if you're like me, your reaction when you hear it is, yeah, yeah. Let's just take a minute. Like, let the beauty and the gift of this truth wash over you in this Advent season. The meaning of life is not to accumulate. It's not up to us to unmask the deception that we're happy when we have many things to resist the dazzling lights of consumerism which shine everywhere this month. The call is for us to believe that prayer and charity are not time wasted, but rather the greatest of treasures. My invitation to us today as a church and as families is to come and to surrender to Jesus in this Advent season to empty ourselves, to give generously, willingly, with joy, 
to actively this Advent, by this action of generous giving, by this action of gospel generosity, to prepare room in our hearts and our lives to receive from the generosity of God to us in Christmas. We're going to come to the, to the table in a moment, and as we come, like, wow. Like, just to think of the feast in the body and the blood of Christ who emptied himself for us. To feast, to feed on him in our hearts by faith is a, is a stepping into the gospel generosity of Christ. So having then come to this table, we'll receive together. And after we've received, we'll pray a prayer that, that, that ends with this commitment and this prayer that God would help us then to go out and to take that generosity and pour it out in the world around us. A couple of thoughts to make this practical. Maybe this Advent, and even in these last couple weeks of Advent as you go, and maybe even in the 12 days of Christmas, you would consider, and as a family, if you've got children, I really encourage you to invite your children into this gospel generosity. But to sit together and consider your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Right? Consider your neighbor. Consider the, the people that live right close to you and how you might be gospel, let the gospel generosity of God flow out into their lives. But think about your neighbor. Think about the homeless in our community. Think about you know, other families that you know through your school connection. Think about fellow employees. Who is your neighbor? And just ask God to give you a picture of the human poverty around you, be it financial or otherwise. And then consider together how you might bless I promise you, if you make up Christmas cookies and go knock on your neighbor's doors this Christmas and just wish them a Merry Christmas and tell them you're praying for them and you'll blow their minds. It's not rockets. You don't have to go in and change their whole world. But to pray and say, God, how do I give of myself? How do I take risks? How do I step into places? So consider your neighbor today. Consider them in a fresh way. Consider the Advent giving opportunity that we're undertaking as a church together. And maybe you would give above and beyond your tithes so we can bless at Wagner Hills and bless Raphael Family Center, organizations who are already just caring for those who are in a real poverty in different ways and needing help and needing care. Maybe you would work together with your, with your kids and as a family to think about your own giving this Christmas. As you think about your gifts and you think about buying gifts and for each other, I was with my barber yesterday, and um, I'm pretty sure he has a relationship with Jesus. It's just on ice. But he, um, he, he's an older guy, and he, um, he said to me, he says, you know, I had a conversation with my kids just the other day. We had dinner together, and uh, I, I said, somebody said, are we exchanging gifts this year? Like, you know, and he said, you know what? Why don't we just not? And he says, my daughter looked at me and went, thank you. Well, I'll tell you something, Right? Like, just consider as a family how gifts are going to work this year, right? And if you're, especially families, but all of you, I'll put you on to it. When we're done, we'll throw it up on the screen too to remind you. There's an incredible website called the adventconspiracy.org. Just sounds super exciting, you know? <laughs> Guerrilla warfare against Advent. But, it, but, but the idea being to take back this season, and the Advent Conspiracy has 
create ideas of how to do this with your family or different things. But one of the things they suggest is maybe you would consider if your budget for presents was like a thousand bucks across the board, maybe you'd figure out how to make that 500, which leaves you with 500 bucks that you could maybe do something with to serve somebody sacrificially. Just a thought. You can, just to pray, right? There's no rules. But I just wanted to kind of make it practical. How can we live generously And Advent is a great season to think about that. But we're going to keep thinking about that all year. Adam, if you'd come. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the invitation of God to us to let our finances become kingdom finances. Lord, we want to catch this vision. I would love to more and more and more in my life be set free to be the kind of man that gives generously. Lord, teach us how to listen, how to even pay attention, to even just look beyond our own need and our own self to see the need around us. Lord, it's got to start there. So we pray, Lord, that you would come and that by your Spirit you would open our eyes to see our neighbor, to see the places around us where you've given to us so generously and now we sit in a beautiful way and opportunity to give generously back to God generously back to our neighbor, generously back to the world around us. Father, this morning, we pray for the homeless in our city. We pray for those on the margin, those at risk of homelessness. We pray for those who are struggling every day right now with the stress and the weight of rising costs of food and rent and and children's medical expenses. And Lord, we recognize that where we're at right now in the nation has put such stress and pressure on people's lives financially. And it just it's just so ironic and wrong that the season of Advent and Christmas would intensify that. Jesus, as the people of God, and here at Via Langley, would you teach us how to walk in the, the, with the hands and feet of Jesus? That Advent and Christmas might be for the poor, not a season of added anxiety, but one of receiving. One of encountering the good news of Jesus. Friends, as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table, I want to give you a moment for private confession. And I I mentioned this right up front, but sometimes when we talk about these things, we recognize the need in our own heart and lives in different ways for repentance, just a turning, saying, I catch this vision, I see it, and the Spirit's moving in me, and I want to respond by saying, Lord, I turn from the ways consumerism has shaped my life. I I, I turn from the ways that a, a capitalist worldview has shaped my idea of my right. I want to turn from the place where I look out for me first and then if I've got anything left, I think about the needs of God. Lord, I want to catch this vision. And so as we confess our sins, if there's anything for you today that the Spirit is moving, I invite you to confession and repentance. That as, we, that as you come to the table then today, that the Spirit might just like inspire you to gospel generosity to the joy and the gift of it. So let's make our confessions to the Lord and then we'll pray together.